let me just say hello to all of you as well. I'm, I'm Steve. This is Kaz. Oh, she's there. Um, hi. Um, whether you're with us on Zoom, as Kaz said earlier, uh, when we welcomed everyone, Facebook, YouTube later on, however you pick this stuff up, we're really glad that you've, um, you're either spending an hour Sunday evening with us or, or catching up some other time. Um, on these Sunday evenings, generally through the end of July and August, we've been looking at, at what, we've, what we called our Slow Down Sundays series. Um, a year ago, um, Kaz and I had the privilege of, of taking uh, what's called a sabbatical break. Uh, we were able to take three months away from normal life and work. And uh, we just had, were carrying a desire to, to share and teach some principles and lessons we learned from that time over this, this summer. It was a summer that should have changed everything for us. Um, but what we've discovered is, and we've said this each time, it's really hard to change the habits of a, of a lifetime. Uh, and uh, what we're wanting to do and, and, and what this series has given us the opportunity to do, never mind the rest of you that are hearing it for the first time, is, is to remind ourselves and relearn again some of the simple rhythms and patterns of discipleship uh, that is available for those of us who long for a life that is truly dependently connected into Jesus Christ. Um, and Jesus invites us into that. Uh, and so over these Sunday evenings, we've been looking at what does that mean in our hectic 21st century lives to live with these kinds of principles. We looked at living without limits um, over a couple of sessions. We've looked, I think last Sunday, um, we looked at uh, the idea of a Sabbath, uh, a rest day in the week. Um, we've looked at, what was the first one we did? Oh, it's gone out of my head. Solitude and silence. There we go. Looking at you. <laughs> Don't uh, your, me. your memory's worse than mine. Um, and, uh, and, and tonight we're going to look at the idea of simplicity. We've got one more next Sunday. Uh, to look forward to uh, as well. Uh, having said that and got in a muddle there, I've got them written down in front of me. I just didn't look at my page. Um, there we go. So we're going to look at living more simply tonight. L living simply isn't a kingdom principle. Um, what we looked at last Sunday, taking a Sabbath day of rest once a week, delighting in God, that's a command. That's wired into our DNA as human beings. Um, things like solitude and, and silence taking time out with God to listen, to speak, to bring our hearts before him. The scriptures are completely clear on those things as, as principles and, and commands even. But what we look at this week and next week, simplicity and slowing down, they're not kingdom principles in the same way. They're, they're not commanded, they're not written in the Bible for us as instructions to follow. However, growing as a disciple is expected of us from the scriptures. Uh, and um, both simplicity and um, slowing down uh, that we're going to look at next week, I, I think are disciplines for disciples. See, the words are connected there, which can expose some of the issues of my heart and your heart. And if we practice them well and wisely, they're principles that enable us to grow as disciples and into the kind of life that Jesus invites us into as we walk with him. That, that's why we're going to look at, at, at this issue of living more simply tonight. Don't look for a proof text in the Bible on living more simply, but do look for how can I grow as a disciple? And perhaps learning to live more simply in some areas of our life will help us with that. We're going to go to some um, very practical steps at the end that Kaz is going to walk us through, but just a warning for my heart and for yours. I, I love just to write the list and say, give me some stuff to do and I'll get on and do it. What we're talking about here is growing as disciples. We're talking about heart work, what living more simply looks like for me may be very, very different to what it looks like for you and in your life, your stage of life, the way you live. 
the circumstances that you find yourself in. So all the way through this evening, let's just be listening to what Jesus is saying about our hearts. They are the principles that are transferable. So Matthew chapter six, let's read some scripture. Um, I've said there's not a proof text for living more simply, but there are some texts that speak to us about our hearts and what we truly run after. Matthew six, uh, Jesus is teaching on, on um, giving to the needy, on fasting, on praying. It's in Matthew six where he teaches his disciples the, what we call the Lord's prayer, the Our Father prayer. And uh, he carries on uh, in this way. I'll pick up at verse 19. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, it's really good to read from our physical, actual paper Bibles. There's a good discipline. Uh, so open that up. Uh, if you're catching this later, just have a, have a look, put your thumb in there and, and read with me. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 19. Uh, do not store, these are the words of Jesus, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy um, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus is amazing. He says things that just cut us right to the heart. Verse 22, I'll carry on. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Later on in verse 33, uh, Jesus comes to the sort of summary line of all these statements. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to help us right now by your Holy Spirit as we for some of us, Lord, these words are so familiar. For some, they might be hearing them for the first time tonight, but they are radical words. And we truly want to be disciples uh, that are authentic. So would you shape my heart and the hearts of my friends here tonight as we grapple with this? Amen. So where we choose to put our hearts, Jesus is teaching here, what we, what we live for uh, can link our lives into worry, anxiety, hurry, busyness or as disciples where we put our hearts can mean that we live out of contentment and joy thankfulness gratitude jesus is teaching here he wants to liberate us from from all the anxiety of of, of the crazy life around us he wants to liberate us with the true gospel the good news the, go the gospel really is good news uh, the way of living with jesus christ listen to me and, and i say this to myself as well if you have believed a gospel i do the little air quote marks there uh, if you're watching if you believe a gospel that says we need more stuff i need bigger savings i've got to have a better pension i need to move up the housing ladder i need a second car i need a second home i need two foreign holidays a year if, if you've believed a gospel that says more is better friends that is not the gospel that is not the good news of jesus christ that's a gospel that's going to take you down this spiral of anxiety. You've only got to read Matthew 6. and We just dipped into it this evening to recognize that that gospel with a small g is the very opposite of the actual good news that Jesus teaches us. I think 
this idea alone, this worldview that we have as Christians in the West of needing more stuff in our lives is one of the underlying reasons why so many Christians, so many of us struggle in our discipleship. We haven't fully grasped the liberating nature of the true good news of Jesus Christ. And so we live with this underlying anxiety all the time because we don't feel like we quite have enough. Um, disciples of Jesus, if any of that is awakening thoughts in your heart as it is in mine this evening, we, what are we doing in discipleship? We repent. We turn away from. I say, God, I'm sorry about that, that heart attitude in me. I've been so shaped by the world. I want to come to you again, Jesus. I, I, I want to come um, and, and live uh, in the way that you teach me to live. I want to find your better way. I want to, we've said many times, but Jesus speaks elsewhere about lifting this heavy burden from us. We can receive rest from him. We don't have to try and keep up with the world. This passage teaches us that as disciples of Jesus, we do not live like the rest of the world. There's a phrase in the English culture that talks about keeping up with the Joneses, uh, the kind of mythical next door neighbor that has all the things that you don't quite have, all the stuff that you love to have they've got the shiny new car parked in the drive they've got the perfect conservatory the perfect children uh, the perfect job the perfect whatever we don't keep up with the world around us as disciples of jesus christ we don't invest all our time and energy and dreams and money into what will get old what will rust what will decay if you can imagine september the 12th 1981 it was my 10th birthday Wow, what a long time ago that was. Um, and I, I have a September birthday. I, I think I was the first birthday in my class. I was in the third year at junior school. And I, I came into, into school with an Ingersoll digital watch. Not this one I'm wearing now. Uh, I was the first boy in my class. I may have been the first boy in the school with a digital watch. It was amazing. And on my birthday at, at the first playtime uh, in the morning break, uh, I remember a crowd of boys and girls gathering around me and uh, they were taking it in turns to press the light button on my digital watch. And we were cupping our hands over it and pulling our coats and jumpers so we could see it in the dark. And there was this chorus of, ooh, as they looked at my watch, this new shiny digital thing. It was amazing. Um, however, there was a problem. The following week, Richard Marsh turned 10 years old and uh, he came into school and on his wrist, he had a Casio calculator watch. Uh, do you remember those things, those of you that are old like me? It was like a full calculator with tiny, tiny little rubber buttons uh, where you could do all your sums on a watch. It was remarkable. Uh, and all the kids who'd been gathered around me just went and gathered around Richard Marsh. Um, nobody ever asked me to tell them the time again. Nobody ever wanted to press my light button again. Everyone else wanted to gather around Richard Marsh in maths classes so he could help them with adding and subtracting, even though even at 10 years old, our fingers were way too fat to press those little buttons. I think you had to press them with the tip of a compass uh, or a sharp pencil to get it to work. Hey, friends, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Um, that that uh, things that we long for, the attention and the comfort and the joy that they bring us can so quickly become obsolete. 20 years later, Christmas 2001, we learned that lesson again. We were away down south. We lived in North Manchester at the time. We came home. Our house had been burgled um, on Christmas Day. Nearly everything had been taken. Um, all our stuff was gone. Even 
presents for the children from under the tree. There were precious personal things, stuff that had been handed down to cows from mums and grandmas. And there were muddy boot prints trampled all over our stuff. It was painful. It was wrong. We were angry, but it wasn't the end of our world. Why is that? Well, it's because disciples of Jesus can live with stuff or can live without stuff. The Apostle Paul says something really, really important that we need to get hold of. Uh, and he says it in Philippians 4, just before one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible, the kind of verse that we stick on, a, on our fridge magnets or put on the wall or post on Instagram. Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi uh, and he's trying to train them as disciples. And he says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. You recognize that verse now, maybe, but you see the context that it comes in. Maybe like me, you've prayed, oh God, I'd love to learn. Would you just bless me with the secret of learning to live in plenty, uh, as Paul says here. But I think it comes hand in hand with learning to be content in God when you don't have much going on in your lives as well. Here's the secret. It's not working or longing for plenty, but it's seeing that, as Jesus puts it, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And where was Paul's heart? Hey, it was completely fixated on Jesus Christ, him and him alone. Jesus was Paul's treasure, his contentment, his plenty, his satisfaction. Um, uh, in, in elsewhere in his letters, he speaks about the Lord Jesus being his all in all. Um, he's, in this very verse we've just read, he's, he's his strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus Christ is front and center for Paul. So I can, Paul would say, I can be satisfied in any circumstance of my life. Um, if you know anything about Paul's life, he, he had a small business at times, even though he was a church planting apostle, he made tents. He could say, God, I, I thank you. I'm so content right now. My small business is going really, really well. Um, numbers are up. My tent making business is great. I've got some money to enjoy some fine Greek wines and I can be generous with people around me. And when I do my church missionary tours, I can stay in nice hotels. Thank you, Jesus, for this blessing. And yet Paul could also say when he was in Philippi, Oh God, I'm in prison. I've had a beating. I'm chained up. It's midnight. I'm expecting to be killed in the morning. Hey, does anyone want to join me in a praise song? That's the guy who's learned the secret of being content in all things. Paul's lived with some extremes in his life, but he's found the secret. So what about you and me as disciples of, of Jesus Christ? Hey, living simply is to find the same secret, to seek the same treasure. We put the focus of our energy on the one thing of worth. That's our relationship with Jesus Christ and living for him and his kingdom alone. In the middle of that Matthew 6 passage that I read at the start, and we'll come to some practical steps in a moment, I promise. Jesus uh, uses that strange phrase about the eye being the lamp of the body. Um, our boy Noah, who's in his mid-twenties now, when he was uh, a toddler, uh, we used to go into town on Saturday mornings, do a bit of shopping. Uh, in fact, when he was in the buggy, I think, or certainly we had the buggy with us. Maybe Daisy was in the buggy at the time. I don't remember now. But Noah would always, every time we went into town, would insist on bringing back an armful of Argos catalogues. You remember Argos catalogues? Um, and he would love to just sit at home and go through all the pictures of the toys and the, the sports stuff and all kinds of things. It was, it was really exciting. 
Uh, and uh, I, I heard um, on the news last month, they've just stopped printing Argos catalogs. I think it's a post-COVID thing, uh, probably. Um, but apparently there are over one billion of them that have been printed. We had a, about a third of those in our home <laughs> at various times. I think we could probably build some sustainable housing with, with leftover Argos catalogs. Um, so uh, listen, do you, do you spend every spare moment dreaming about the stuff you haven't yet got? Uh, are you like me sometimes where you just slump in front of the TV and these adverts wash over you? Just looking at adverts from the last time I, I sat in front of the, the telly and you, you get more depressed with your life because you're wishing, here's my list of the ones I saw uh, last night, a better home, uh, another holiday, a better car, a new partner, better teeth, better fitness, better orgasm. They, they were just the, the, the ones in one ad break last night on the telly. You're wondering what I'm watching on the TV now, aren't you? Listen, Jesus says, is your eye, is the eye of your heart, is it pulled towards the things that are shiny and glitter? In verse 24 of Matthew 6, he's, he says, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He, he's not saying that money is a bad thing. Don't, don't mishear what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is you can't put your heart uh, fully after both. You can only go after one or the other. He doesn't say you shouldn't try to serve God and money. It's really quite difficult. He says you can't, you cannot. It is impossible to serve, to serve fully with our hearts, the one or the other. You, might, you need one master. It's about our hearts, disciples. We can't have our hearts pulled both ways. If we're going to spend our lives getting pulled into the world's trap of consumption, then we cannot serve Jesus with our whole hearts as disciples. So is your eye drawn to the glitter and the desire? Hey, if it is, then, then let's get back to the gospel. Let's look for something shinier. Let's get a better treasure. Jesus invites us to seek his kingdom like true treasure hunters. Uh, Jesus gives parables. He tells stories of what the kingdom is like um, in, the, in the gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. He says the kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. When you find it there, it's worth selling everything you have in order to possess this treasure, to buy the field. He says it's like the pearl of greatest price. He says the treasure is like finding a lost coin. In Matthew 6, Jesus links our, our, our living for lesser treasures, for the dull, worldly stuff, to worry and anxiety. And then he shows us his heart and he invites us to, to delight in the greater treasure where we'll find true contentment, true satisfaction, true joy, true thankfulness. That's the secret Paul has learned. So how about us, disciples? If you're with us right now on Zoom, maybe you're watching this later in the week, uh, maybe you've had the TV on as you started watching. Think, right, do you know what? I'm just going to turn that off for a minute. And maybe I need to concentrate a bit more just for a, a moment. God's speaking to my heart right now. It's heart change we're after. Just living more simply alone won't do it. Simplicity, though, can be a tool to help us unlearn and to think more clearly about our decisions and to train our hearts to, um, to spot the real authentic treasure that can be ours as we follow Jesus. We were at an antiques fair uh, just before we went away on holiday a couple of weeks ago. We love going around antiques fairs. Kaz is a very gifted upholsterer. And uh, it's quite possible for us to go around antiques fairs and come back with a car full of more broken, damp, tat, as I would call it. And we could fill our house with broken, damp, tat. But what I love about going to an antiques fair with Kaz is that we could search for hours and we could just find one thing. That, and we can buy it cheap because they don't know the value of it. 
but we know once it's been cleaned and stripped back and, and recovered, it's worth some money. Or it might be a, a, a beautiful centerpiece in our home. Aren't you sick of living your life under piles of damp tat, as it were, when Jesus invites us to find real treasure with him? So remember, before Cassie comes out, I just want to labor this point. It's not about the externals. Um, deliberately being more simple doesn't change anything. And if you write down the 12 points Cassie's going to make briefly in a minute, but don't do anything about your heart, then you missed the point entirely. Go back and listen again, please. Um, Jesus is always warning his disciples to avoid externalism and to deal with the heart. In fact, the whole Matthew 6 passage is about that. You're giving to the needy, you're praying, you're fasting. Don't just do the stuff on the surface that other people see. What about your heart, disciple? So you could sell all your stuff. You could live like a monk. I lived like a monk for a few days last year with the monks uh, last summer. You could go uh, full Ikea minimalist in your home in an attempt to clear your cluttered mind. But, but if, if none of those things deal with our eyes that still track the worldly glitter, or if none of those things deal with my heart, which still wants to hoard stuff so I feel secure, then I've made a whole lot of grand gestures towards external simplicity. Um, but I've missed an opportunity to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So please don't just do these steps. Uh, this is crazy as a preacher saying, don't, don't do the application steps. I, no, please think about them and consider them. Casual, I'm sure, instruct you better than I am how to do them. But what I'm trying to say is, as a disciple of Jesus, deal with the heart and then let the externals follow. Like Paul, let's learn a secret, whether we've got plenty or whether you're in a time where you're living with a little right now. Um, one of the reasons, uh, maybe I just touch on this and, and we'll move on. Um, one of the reasons why we mustn't make judgments in our minds about believers who are wealthy. Um, and sometimes you see that in Christians. We can be quite judgmental about wealthy believers. Hey, you can't see their hearts. You can only see their stuff. It may well be that they've lived, that they've learned the secret like Paul of living with plenty, but they've got their hearts fixed on the treasure that is Jesus Christ. It's not about the money. It's not about the stuff. It's not about living simply as a rule. It's a tool for disciples who have our hearts stolen away so easily, who have wonky eyes that chase after shiny things all the time. Um, so with all that in mind, realizing we're not applying rules here, judging others, comparing ourselves to others. Is it just me that does that? Or is that a tendency for all of us? We're discipling our own hearts. We're coming to be yoked, connected to Jesus for a new and living way. With all that in mind, let's open up some of these principles that can help us. So I've got 12 steps to work through together and they actually come from the book that we have spoken about previously in, in other weeks. And it's, it's this one here. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and it's by John Mark Comer. Um, but I've taken his 12 steps and then I've, I've worked through um, them from a personal uh, thought as well. All right. So um, how do we grow as disciples of Jesus? Now, these steps, they may be useful as principles, but they mustn't become rules. We, we need not step into to legalism. Uh, these things will help us uh, with our thought process rather than having rigid lines. We want to ask questions. That, do you remember those wristbands? We want to ask the question, what would Jesus do? It's okay to, to, to wear that wristband and, and remind ourselves. So if you want to make notes, feel free, that's great. And then you can, can go back over and take time to 
think through these 12 steps and apply them to yourself because I've applied them from my perspective. They might not be relevant to you or all of them may not be relevant, but some of them will be, okay? Um, so let's start. Number one, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Okay, so as, as Steve said, he uh, I like a chair. He mentioned it earlier, didn't it? So <laughs> we're gonna use the example of a chair. But, um, now, I need to think about this chair. What will it cost to clean? What will it cost to repair, to recover, to maintain it, to possibly insure it? You know, it's not just about the money either. Can you give the, can I give the renovation the time that it needs? How often will I actually use it once it's finished? Will it add value to my life and help me enjoy God and his world more? Or will it be a distraction? You know, it's not just about the money. It's not just about the time either. Will it actually increase my sense of hurry? Will it make my life more busy? That's not what I want to aim at. Will it speed my life up or will it slow it down? To so put your own example in there, I'm sure all of you don't go around looking at chairs like I do, but there will be things that you can apply. Put your own example in, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a motorbike, maybe it's a gaming console. I don't know what it would be for you. So number two, before you buy, ask, Am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth by buying this? These are huge questions, aren't they? Am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? You know, because we humans are consuming at such a huge rate, aren't we? We have so much stuff around us. And the products that we use often aren't biodegradable. Last year, do you remember back, we heard so much about plastics, um, you know, single use items that just get thrown away and there's plastic in the sea. Do you recall all of those things before COVID hit? It was a real biggie back then. And, you know, we can apply that not just to the, the cups, but actually there's plastics in the clothing that we wear too. It's really broad in polyester. There is, there's stuff that will not biodegrade they will be in landfill forever okay so how is this item made that I'm thinking about getting and having we've heard about underpaid workers too haven't we that was a real big one a couple of years back on the on the news you know there are people on the other side of the world sewing our clothing earning just a few pennies so that we can purchase a pair of trousers for just a few pounds. Often we can work out whether or not someone has been well paid, not always, but oftentimes we can look at the price tag and think, well, actually, could I even buy the material for that price? And yet someone's made it, someone's been paid for that. So am I harming the world or oppressing another person with this purchase? Number three, Never impulse buy. <laughs> we blow too much money on the spur of the moment purchases. Again, this is my example. It might not be yours, but do I really need another pair of shoes? No. 
Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Even if, <laughs> if you didn't hear that, he said no over my shoulder. <laughs> Even if I don't have the outfit to go with them, do I need these shoes? Now, when you see them, or whatever it may, it may be for you, wait. Hold on to that thought for a while. Ponder. Walk away and think about it. Don't impulse buy. That might mean, it might actually be that you need a pair of shoes, but it might not. Don't impulse buy. So number four, when you buy, opt for fewer, better things. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, oftentimes we think that uh, it's better to save money by buying lots of cheap things, cheaply made, cheap items. And oftentimes when they're cheap they're often unjustly made as well going back to my previous point so instead of this let's wait let's save the money that you uh, save up the money sorry that you that you need to buy this item and just take a little bit longer and slow down in the whole process and buy a quality item that will last longer so there is less waste in the process. So this is something that actually Stephen and I have learned through the years. We've bought plenty of cheap things that have really not been fit for purpose and we've thrown them away and it's been rubbish uh, in a matter of, of weeks. Now sometimes um, we found that we couldn't afford to buy the better quality brand new. But it's okay to have a look around and buy it second hand and save the planet in a sense in that way. So better quality means that you don't have to spend out again in the next year because it will last better. It's better made. Now, not everything is instant. So slowing down in the process of purchasing uh, and saving the money actually helps us. And sometimes when we do that process, we also look and think after a couple of weeks, okay, I've got the money, but do I actually need it now? Has that slowing down process allowed me to also realize, okay, I don't need what I was saving up for in the first place. Number five, when you can, share now this can be a bit difficult i appreciate that but it is great when it works well so loan stuff out to your friends to the people around you if you've got a loan lawn lawn a loan lawn a lawn <laughs> if you've got a lawn mower loan it out to your friend who might need a lawn mower for example, rather than watch him buy a new one um, and uh, you've got one in your garage just sitting there waiting to be used. Be open to share your belongings. Now, we do need to be respectful of one another's belongings and if we're borrowing something, then look after it. Treat it as if it were our own. And if we do break it by accident, I'm sure, tell them. Be upfront about it and if need be, you might need to either buy a new or repair it. But lending also shows us that we aren't holding our possessions too close. They're not too precious. We're not clinging on to material things. 
So number six, get into the habit of giving things away. So Jesus actually said, didn't he? It is more blessed to give than to receive. It does feel good when we give things away, doesn't it? Think back to the last time you gave something away. It's, it feels good. It's nice to be generous. So maybe try being secret Santa all year round. I'm not talking about really big expensive things. I'm talking about just being generous and generous in heart. It's about the giving away. Number seven, live with a budget. It is amazing how many people actually live today without budgeting. A budget not only helps you stay out of debt, but it also helps you see where your money is going because you're able to look back on your expenditure if you keep your budget up, up to date. A budget is a list of areas of life where you spend your money. It's literally things like electric, which we need. We need food to clothes, to entertainment. If we list it all on our budget, we can see where our money is going. Are we being good stewards of what God has given us? If you haven't done this before, go on to Google after we finished and, and Google how to use a budget. Or if you want some help, ask your small group leader or a close friend, show me how to budget. It's good to be open with this information because that actually helps us avoid bad habits with our money too. We're allowed to speak into each other's lives without condemnation or judgment. Number eight, learn to enjoy things without owning them. We don't need to have everything as our own in order to enjoy them. Now, in our normal world, I appreciate not at the moment, but in our normal world, we have the local library. We don't have to buy all the books. We can borrow the book from the local library, for example. Or instead of buying that all singing, all dancing coffee machine that sits in the corner of the kitchen, it's okay to occasionally go out and have a coffee with a friend. We don't have to own that machine to enjoy a coffee. Number nine. Are you keeping up, everyone? Number nine. Cultivate a deep appreciation of creation. Now I'm looking out. Behind this computer screen is a beautiful scene of trees and sky. Enjoy breathing the free air in a local park or the countryside that isn't too far from all of us. So de develop a gratitude that actually restores our inner beings. You know, we know from science that actually being out in creation and nature helps our mental health. And it doesn't cost us anything to go outside into nature of some sort. Number 10, cultivate a deep appreciation for the simple pleasures. I don't know what your simple pleasures are, but I've, I've put a few of mine down here. Take time to enjoy your morning cup of tea or a home-cooked meal 
with friends or family. Take time to walk somewhere or to cycle somewhere. Appreciate simple things. Often these pleasures don't cost money or a lot of money, but they do repay us in happiness. You know, every sun, sunrise, and I do admit to not seeing many sunrises, but sunsets or every good conversation with a friend or an evening stroll has the potential to produce gratitude and joy and enjoyment of life in God's world. Taking time in these simple things allows us to delight in God and one another. We need to take some more time. Number 11, recognize advertising for what it is. Refuse to be drawn in to the lie that you immediately need that face cream that will make me look younger or immediately need the upgrade of the phone that does that extra amazing thing that the old phone doesn't or whatever it is. Again, put your own example in, whatever it is. Don't respond to the advert. We know that advertising agencies and these, they're, they're clever, okay? They, they know our weak spots. So don't respond to those lies that are thrown at us, whether it be on the TV, whether it be on social media or in magazines. You know, you might actually need that face cream or you might actually need a new phone. Those things of themselves aren't necessarily wrong, but it's, it's whether we're responding to those things that are fired at us. You need this now, you need this now, because they're the lies. So don't respond to those, but consider and be shaped by Jesus's life and his discipleship. And number 12, finally, number 12. Lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. Wow. Now, Coma, as I said, I, I was looking at this list in his book. He says that St. Francis and his band of followers led a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. He says they saw spreading Jesus's message of simplicity as one and the same as spreading his message of joy. Can I say that again? Because I think that's quite lovely. They saw spreading Jesus's message of simplicity as one and the same as spreading his message of joy. We all want joy, don't we? We hear that less is better. What happens if that's true, that less is better? We need to hear this. We need to take it on board. We need to consider these things and our culture around us does too. Yeah. So living as disciples is, is really challenging, isn't it? If we're truly going to look and sound more and more like Jesus.